Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us again this Saturday night for another edition of Raising Vibration Radio and Journey into Consciousness. Um, I'm one of your hosts, uh, Reverend Raven, or everybody calls me Sandy. Uh, and Tammy Lucente is not going to be joining us tonight because it, it's her birthday. So if you guys are listening out there and you just want to type in happy birthday to our other co-host, the, the founder of Journey into Consciousness, we gladly love you to do that tonight. And I want to uh, thank our special guest being here tonight, Vicki Griffith, who's an author a coach, a weight loss coach, and a minister. And we're so blessed to have her on the show tonight. Vicki, tell our listeners hello. Hello, everyone. I am very honored and grateful to be here tonight. So let's have some fun. Oh, yes, I'm totally about the fun. If anybody knows that listens to us here, we are all about having some fun tonight. So Vicki, tell um, a little bit about yourself. Well, it started back in, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I won't get you all the way back to my birth. But however, it's important to know that I was born chubby. And I was born chubby and I was a chubby toddler. And then about the age of three, it doesn't become so cute to be chubby. And it kind of haunted me my school age years, teenage years. About middle school, somewhere between elementary school and middle school, that's when I realized I was fat and I went on a national program and got to my goal. And I was super, super thin at that point. And I knew in order to be thin and stay thin, I needed to stay on their maintenance program. Coming from a family that my dad was a factory worker, my mom drove school bus, money wasn't something we had a lot of either. And when I hit my goal weight, my dad said, good, you won't have to do that. We have to pay for that anymore which was totally disappointing for me. And then the feelings of unworthiness. But I tried my diet, I tried every diet. I have tried every diet under the sun. I let go of weight, I would gain weight. It was back and forth, back and forth throughout my entire adult life. And then one day I just got sick and tired. Have you ever had that day where you got sick and tired? You looked at the scale and go, really again? Yes. Yeah. I think we yeah. all have. <laughs> yeah, most of us do. As women have that, that moment when we get on the scale and go, okay, uh, this is ridiculous. What am I going to do? And most times in the past, I would have started a new diet. And it would have been a very restricted diet. And I would have been okay on it for a few hours or a couple of days or maybe even a few weeks. But I couldn't maintain it because it was so stupid restricted that I would start eating emotionally, binge eating again, and starting the whole cycle of shame and guilt and remorse, going on another restricted diet. And like, I'm stopping this pattern. And I decided to stop dieting. And guess what happened? What happened for you? <laughs> <laughs> I actually started releasing weight, eating foods I loved and nurtured me at the time. And stopped the judgment, the bullying, and the criticism. So I did go on a diet. That's kind of teething right there. I went on a mental diet. However, I didn't change my food. I changed the portions. Still nurtured myself in a really crazy way with fast food every day, but ate smaller portions. And the weight started creeping off because I wasn't 
beating myself up all the time. And then I went, after releasing 30 some pounds, I kind of went, huh, this is rather interesting. And I've always been interested in hypnosis. I actually was hypnotized again to try to lose weight at 16. And I lost 30 pounds using the word lost because it found me back soon after. Because hypnosis was based on the diet, which at that point was is now known as keto, but not then. And um, the, the experience, though, was really fascinating because being a shy, reserved person, hypnosis helped me change my mindset about myself. And I did things I never would expect it to do. So even my, remember one of my high school teachers, it was a um, psychology class, actually, and we had to do an oral report. And so I was like one of the last ones, which everyone dreads being the report and even did the report and sat down and then there was feedback and questions afterwards. And he said, I would have never expected you to be able to do that. How did you do that? Well, the talk was on hypnosis. He said, that's what I did. I used hypnosis to help myself get over my nerves and to stand up in front of this class. So that's been a part of what I do as well as changing my mindset knowing that it was what's going up on in my head that was causing the eating disorders, not the food. That is awesome. So when, um, when you uh, lost the weight and you, you uh, controlled your mind or what you were producing in your mind, your thoughts, it, that gave you confidence to do other things as well? Right. That's really what is very fascinating about weight is weight is really a symptom people come to me as if it's a problem it's really a symptom that something else is going on in their lives and there there's a, a deep connection between weight and money there's a deep connection between weight and relationships relationship with ourselves relationship with people that we want to love or have love in our lives there's a huge relationship around our feelings of ourselves, worthiness, value, confidence. So what was happening is those things were changing. I increased my confidence and my self-esteem. I started taking risks that I would have never have done. When I got to college, I would take assertiveness classes. In any psychology class having to do with, um, having had just a little bit about hypnosis, I would take, and I would actually do the stuff that we're supposed to do, stand up in class, write papers. I never thought I was good at any of that, but yet I did it through that little piece of me that was awakening, awakening from the self-hypnosis and the hypnosis that I was using. And so that affected my life. And then when my life started becoming affected, then I could start making other decisions. There was a gap between college and um, becoming a certified hypnotist. There was a gap between Actually, there was a pregnancy, so I got pregnant. Became, I was the heaviest I'd ever been in my life. The moment I stepped on the scale at the hospital after giving birth to almost a 10 pound baby, and oh. I was the heaviest I ever had been. I know, and I'm thinking, I should have lost 60 pounds. I just gave birth to this huge baby. <laughs> no. <how> it worked. <laughs> oh, That's no. That's a terrifying feeling, isn't it? When you give birth and you look at the scale and you go, oh, oh no. I know, I know. And I was so sick the first you know, 
two trimesters so that I wasn't hardly eating anything. So in the last, last trimester, I was eating like a fiend and gained about 75 pounds. So the whole experience of my life kind of has led me to do what I do now, which is help other women realize that one, if they're having some weight issues, they're not broken. There's nothing wrong with them. They're not, they feel like they're out of control of food or sometimes it's alcohol. That's the same, comes from the same place. Um, My clients will say, you know, I I drink one glass and all of a sudden I'm drinking three or four or where did that, you know, how to empty that bottle type of thing. Or they're going to say, I started with one cookie and I finished off the whole sleeve. So that's the same, same issue, just a different substance. And it's through changing your mind, your mindset, your thoughts, your belief system. And it sounds so hard. The reality is if you know a few things like self-hypnosis, tapping emotional freedom technique, my two go-to other energy techniques, it can be so crazy subtle that you don't even know you've changed. That is awesome. So, um, does it matter why we think the way we think uh, about our weight or is that just like a byproduct and it's just up to us just to let those, that, that thought pattern go away? Do we need to like deep, go deep down? My question is, do we think really go deep down inside ourselves to figure out what caused it or does it really matter what caused the issue in the first place? So the answer is yes. And <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not about forcing anyone into anything that's intense. And some theories of change are that you have to get down deep and you know drag up all that stuff out of the mud again. I have seen it where you don't have to. Now there's sometimes it happens. And there's sometimes we're dealing with aspects around that that show up, a feeling, a thought, that might not have been addressed before. And so, yes, and we can start with the very, very lowest intensity as possible. Sometimes we're just talking about how intense it is. People haven't even told me the story. It's that intense. They'll say, if I start, I just will start crying and never stop crying. And I'm like, well, has that ever happened before? They're like, no. I'm like, well, it probably won't happen now, but that's okay. Let's start there. And then when we start there, we can start diffusing the emotion that they're afraid they're going to have. And once we diffuse the emotion they're afraid they're going to have, they're more open to be able to explore. And that's really what we're doing. We're just exploring what they think this may, may have come from. Now, in years of practice, I'll have many clients come into me. And, you know, we always blame everything on our mom, right? <laughs> their mom and so they'll come to me and they're like it's my mom's fault and as we start diffusing the emotion around it they found out they really had a problem with their dad the person that they felt was you know their protector the one that they felt was uh, so loving to them and, and and may have been but one of the examples is the client was sharing how she started recalling as we're diffusing some of the other emotions that and dissolving them that um, her her dad the person she absolutely admired love of her life he was he just thought she was the most adorable thing but yet he was verbally abusive to her mom 
And so that was really what was causing some of the issues that she was trying to resolve. Wow. That is wild. And and so did she got in touch with those feelings for herself and was able to release them? Yes. Yes. Sometimes it's the hard part is the fear of looking at it. But once you look at it, it makes it so much easier to let it go and move on. Sometimes the belief systems are so ingrained that it takes a while. We have to be patient because the mind and the brain's entire job is to keep you safe. That's it. The brain has a little gland in the back of your skull. It's called the amygdala gland. And its entire job is to search for danger and that it does it quite well. So the brain's first response is any situation, is there danger here? That comes from on our DNA. That's how we survived as a species. We walked outside and looked, is there a tiger nearby? Is there something that's gonna hurt me? Right. And then we discern from there, what to do next. It's still working that way for us now. Although there's not a lot of physical danger to us now, there is some, but there's not a lot of physical danger. The danger now is I'm getting really stressed at work. And the reaction from the amygdala gland is sending blood to your extremities to fight or to run. Well, we, especially with COVID, stuck at home, stressed out, trying to work from home, trying to get the schools homeschooled, trying to be around people that we are not normally around for many hours of the day. Right. And the brain's going, this is dangerous, but we didn't know what to fight because it wasn't, it varied from day to day. So we couldn't fight it and we couldn't run because we were told to stay home. Right. So it's not surprising that people have gained about 29 pounds through all of this. So the brain does that. That's its job. And the mind is doing the same thing. And it's creating experiences or from your experiences can creating conclusions from those experiences and then trying to protect you from the same hurt happening. And so it's doing the same thing for your best interest. Misguided as it is. Yes. <laughs> you know, eating a cheesecake when we're stressed is not really protecting us <laughs> the subconscious <laughs> mind says hmm, this is emotional overload let's go eat oh cheesecake yay i'm in yeah yep i'm in for that one yes <laughs> why is it that we want to eat when we're stressed out though is it because when we were kids or something our parents gave us food if we fell or something is it something psychological like that or is it just is it ingrained in all of us i i don't understand you know where that came from why do you want to eat when you're stressed out well that's that could be part of it so it could be environmentally habit that was formed uh, through rituals that like you said you skin your knee and you go get a lollipop you know i don't know about you but i remember when i'd go to the dentist and you'd open up the toy chest at the end and it'd have candy and little prizes in it and so there was a reward for you know, being a good little girl or, or boy uh, that experience to, so the the brain is associating sweets with rewards. So I'm stressed. I'm going to try to you know reward myself. There's the feeling of de uh, deprivation that occurs that we use we, when we 
are deprived in stress, which is what's happening. We're deprived of something. We're feeling we're deprived of something, whether it's hugs, whether it's um, well-meaning attention, whether it's uh, a deprivation of just, you know, sharing who we are or being able to ask for what we need. And then the stress leads to, in the past, getting something to eat. We learn at a very young age a coping mechanism, sometimes several. My coping mechanism was food, even at a young age. I was the number one salesperson in Girl Scouts selling Girl Scout cookies because I bought most of them and put them under my bed. That's just, <laughs> seriously, that's how, that's how I coped with life. And we didn't show emotions in our house growing up. So that's how I coped with emotions. So it is a environmental response to learning how to make ourselves feel better. And the food is the number one way to do that. And research has shown sugar does create a chemical reaction in your body that does make you feel good for a while. Chocolate does the same thing. And uh, then we got more, got better and better at researching how certain types of foods affect our moods and our craving mechanism and actually affect our brain. And so they discovered that salt, sugar, and fat, all of those alone will send receptors in the brain into this feel-good spot, but put them all together. Uh, oh my a goodness. drug, right? It's a it drug. Is. It is. And so there's part of that going on too. So from trying to learn to cope on our own as a child, getting into the processed foods and the sugars, and then having that chemical reaction in our brain that only wants more of that because it makes us feel good. And I just learned recently that the body adapts very quickly to it. And so does the brain. So just like any other drug, you want more because you need more to feel better. Yes. And so then it becomes this downward spiral. So there's a little bit about what you, of all of those things that you said and, and learned response, learned behaviors, learned habits, and the chemical reactions in her body. That, wow. Mind-blowing. But I, I kind of had my sneaky suspicion that it stems from childhood, which when you said we like to blame our parents for. Uh, but again, too, uh, even after a certain age, you've got to become responsible, you know, for what you do and how you react. Even children need to learn that. Now, I, I don't know what age that should be, um, but I, I know at some point we all have to take responsibility for every action that occurs to us, right? Mm -hmm. I absolutely agree. There's a whole lot of personal responsibility and a whole lot of decision-making. Any change starts with a decision. It just, you decide you're going to change, you're not going to change. And then a whole lot of decisions come from that. So absolutely. It does come from, some of us does come from childhood Another client of mine came to me because her three in the afternoon snack break from stress was causing her weight gain. She, some people can really pinpoint what's the one habit. Because uh, usually it is one habit or time of day or circumstance that creates people to overeat. And for her, it was three o'clock in the afternoon. Not only was she feeling a little tired, but she was at that point, her stress had, had leveled up. And she would find herself perusing the office for chocolate, or she'd go to the candy bar and go get a candy bar from the vending machine. 
And she's like, I need to break this habit, but I just can't seem to break it. I don't understand what the, I can try to talk myself out of it. I can try to avoid it. I can make myself go walk up and down the stairs, but I can't stop thinking about it. So I'm like obsessed until I have this candy at three o'clock in the afternoon. Once I have some, I can settle down again and be through, get through my day. And so we were chatting and I was asking, one of the questions I ask is, what did your mom always say? And she's like, oh, I don't remember mom. And it's, it's more of a, you know, just kind of a generalized question. It, it may be a pattern of thought or, or a feeling that you got from your mom. And what did your dad always say? Well, we had our session and she left. And on my way home, I get a voicemail from her. And I listen to it when I get home and, and she's cracking up. She's just absolutely beside herself. And she goes, I had to pull over in my car and call you to let you know what I just realized. She said, when I was a child, my mom would tuck us, tuck us all in and she would sit at the edge of my bed and sing, mama's little baby loves chocolate, chocolate. Mama's little baby loves chocolate too. And she <laughs> said, from that experience of the coziness of the love that her mom was showing to her right she got stressed chocolate was what she wanted to bring back that feeling of love so food cravings come from either trying to push something away like stress or uneasiness feeling uncomfortable or trying to pull something in that you once experienced and for her, it was that song related to chocolate that when she got stressed, she was pull, trying to pull in that love and comfort in her day that she was missing. Yes, I, I can see that. And, and while you were talking about that, I was thinking about funerals. You know how people always bring a bunch of food. To, it's everybody uses food to comfort somebody. It, it, or when you have a life-changing event of any you know, there's always some type of food involved. And that can play a big, big part in somebody's psyche, right? Well, it's part of our culture, you know, and I, I really don't want that to change. I love having barbecues on Father's Day and having the potato salad and all the, you know, the things that come with barbecuing outside and, and the cake and all that. I don't want that to change. I think that's a lovely experience from my granddaughters to experience weddings, the same thing. Food is celebration. Food is delicious. Right. And it should be. And we should celebrate it and enjoy it and savor it and spend our time with it because it is loving to us. There is a form of love, like you said, celebration or sadness. We're trying to, we're trying to help someone feel better and, you do that through food. So it's not a tradition that I, I think we need to abolish. I think we just need to understand that those moments in time are not a reason to decide as a person who wants to release lose weight that, oh, I've blown it. I've just blown it. So, you know, the party's on Saturday night. I'll just eat the rest of the weekend and start again on Monday. Or... Um, start feeling bad. I shouldn't have eaten that cake. God darn it. I shouldn't have eaten that piece of cake. Well, yes, you should have. 
unless you have food allergies around it, yeah, have a piece of cake. Right. Enjoy it. Give yourself permission and then move on back to your what I call normal routine in your food program. So, yes, we should celebrate food and life. And it's just it, it's gotten especially during COVID, it got kind of obsessive. You know, when you walk in a grocery store and there's no flour or sugar anywhere because everyone's baking. All right. <laughs> that was, and that's what they were doing. They're trying to make themselves feel better. So they were baking bread and they were baking cakes and pastries and all kinds of things. Oh, yeah. too. And here's another thing. At the beginning of COVID, like when you went to the grocery store, like there was a shortage of everything, right? And so that, that flight or flight, uh, thing came from the brain again going oh my god I gotta grab any kind of food I can because I don't know if there's going to be any more in the store and you you store it away and and that's what you have to eat and it could have been crap food that you got in the first place that you right. normally wouldn't have bought because of the fear of right. there's not going to be any more food in the store yes and that isn't just a fear of food that's that's a fear uh, of not in, not in, so that's actually a belief system that there's not mm -hmm. enough. And I bet you that belief system is it, obviously it was for majority of the people. There's not enough food, not enough money. Um, there's not enough food for me. Even when you're on a diet, right? There's not enough food because you're on a restrictive, usually very restrictive diet. Right. There's um, not enough time. I'm not enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not valuable enough. The, I'm too old, I'm too young, that's not enough. So there, that is a good indication that many, I would say probably close to 75%, 75% or 80% of the population has a belief system that they're not enough when they start doing that. And just here in Florida, and you, you may have experienced this too, um, although further south it wasn't as bad with the, the pipeline, the uh, delivery of gas, people were filling up gas in stupid mm -hmm. containers that are are flammable and was causing like eight cars caught fire because they had gas in containers that weren't approved for gasoline. Uh, and that's a shame that fear drove them to that place. Oh, no. Yeah, we had a, a shortage here in Pinellas County uh, for a day. Mm -hmm. um, and then the news came out that the pipeline was coming back on. But but yes, there was that fear driven, all of a sudden panic. And, and, and it's all, I think since, I think it stems back from uh, the hurricane, you know, that we had mm -hmm. Irma a few years back when you couldn't get any water or anything in the store uh, because everything was shut down. So that, that's been a really, uh, I think it was back in 2006. 17 or 18 um yeah so it's been a reality for a lot of people around here so when they hear some bad news they just automatically boom let's go to the store and let's pile up or get the gas or get the ice or get whatever we need to survive because they don't know you know what's going to happen right 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 and i you know is it is it wise to prepare we're getting in a whole different subject i think that it is Floridians anywhere on the East Coast where we have hurricanes, even in Virginia, we had hurricanes. And so is it good for you to have some extra bottles of water around? Sure. And to have, you know, a few of the necessities that you need. I think that's just wise. I was a Girl Scout after all. We always came prepared just like these guys. 
So <laughs> I think that's wise, but the hoarding piece is what was bothering, I guess what's bothering me is the, the whole needing more than everyone else. And that's what I found a little disturbing about what people are looking for that in that whole not enough uh, core belief system. What's another belief system that causes people to stay on their uh, their current journey that they're on with their weight or their life? That's a great question. Thank you. Actually, they're in my book. So I put the, there are four belief, core belief systems that come up in my practice. I've noticed this and I can funnel any uh, excuse. I call them solid reasons in my book. <laughs> Uh -huh. The excuse that you give me, and I can funnel it into a core belief. So you won't have all four of these. So, whew, right? <laughs> Although I play with three, but then I'm an overachiever, so you don't have to even play with three. <laughs> I don't I play with three all the time, all right? So I'm not over, you know, overdoing it. But I do have one core belief system that keeps coming up and showing up. And, and I... I, I believe from a, a spiritual point of view that there's, we kind of choose one. Our soul chooses one when we come to this planet and this place so that we can play. It doesn't feel like play, but so we can play and learn what that experience is like. So the first one I mentioned, and that's not enough. So you don't feel like there is enough, enough of anything, not enough time, not enough, um, that's what I, I seem to play with a lot is I don't have enough time in my day. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm making that up because Einstein proved that isn't even true. <laughs> so, you know, there's science behind some of this stuff too. It's like, wait a minute, this is a really false belief, but yet it's so ingrained in my core that there's not enough time. Uh, like I said, not enough food, especially if you're a chronic dieter, um, not enough yummy food, if you're a chronic dieter, not a, a, I'm not enough. So being fat, I'm not enough in some way. The next one, and this is not in any order, so the next one is disloyal or abandoned. So if you change, you're disloyal to someone. In weight loss, what I see this as is my mom and I, we were just talking about this the other day. My mom and I, she was thin when I was young, and then she started having weight issues. And so she and I were on diets a lot together, and we joined a gym together. And we would go to the gym and then go to Howard Johnson's and have hot fudge Sundays afterwards. So we were kind of like eating buddies. And there was this unspoken feeling for me, and I'm not quite sure for her, but I think so as well, is that if one of us lost weight, then that would leave the other one behind, would be disloyal to them. I see this often with friends. So especially people who are extremely obese tend to hang around people and that's where all of us, we tend to hang around people like ourselves because it's comfortable. Mm -hmm. So they tend to hang around other obese people. And so if they start becoming thin, then what are their, they're going to be disloyal to their friends. And then that leads to abandonment. So if I'm disloyal to my friends, will they leave me or will I have to leave them? Same thing in married couples. Will I have, you know, will they abandon me? Will they leave me because they're thinner? And so then that, that person start sabotaging the relationship. I had a client who came to me, she released 50 pounds. She sent her husband. Now, I make sure that that is an agreement he's ready for, not because 
she thinks this, I was great. And he was. He was, you know, he was really willing, he was ready, he wanted to make a difference. And he uh, came in. This is when I was actually seeing people in my office, and I haven't done that way before this whole work from home stuff happened. But um, he came into my office and he was livid. And I didn't know that this man could be. He was such a gentle giant, but he was livid. And I'm like, what's happened? And I'm thinking something horrible's happened. And he's like, she did it. I can't believe she did it. I just can't believe she did it. I'm like, she did what? And she brought home cinnamon rolls, which was my favorite, from my favorite bakery and left them on the counter. The counter. It's an island. I have to walk around this island just to get my breakfast. <laughs> what was, you know, she, he was just going on and on. What was she thinking? Why would she do that to me? Well, even though she had released 50 pounds, something deep inside of her, not malicious, felt uncomfortable with him letting go of the weight that he might abandon her in some way. So that's how the abandonment stuff works. So it could have anything to do with building a business. It could have anything to do with starting a new hobby. You might feel that you're, you start a new hobby and people, you're disloyal to the people because you're not hanging out on the couch anymore watching TV. Or they might abandon you. So that's what disloyal abandoning is. This other one I don't see very often is the fear of standing out, and that one holds people back. So for my clients who are weight loss clients, they are, they are saying things, well, if I get thin, then I will be seen again. And usually about 85% of them have had some kind of inappropriate sexual advance at a time in their life when they were thin. So the weight is protection, and they're afraid of being seen, so standing out as a thin person. I also see this in communities like starving artists, where I have a client who is starting to get noticed and starting to get jobs and being commissioned. And that being that that being seen is uncomfortable because then there's the disloyal. So the kind of disloyal and abandoned come, come into play together. And then there's burden and responsibility. So my weight loss clients, it's too hard. I have to do all the planning. I have to cut up all the vegetables. It's just too much burden. It's just too hard. Or it's too much responsibility. So I'm responsible for everyone else in my household. And if I go on a diet, they're going to have to eat similar to what I eat. And that's just way too much. It doesn't want to, I don't, you know, don't want that responsibility on my shoulders. So there's that kind of thing going on. I had a client who was a gym owner, brand new gym. Anytime you open a new business, it does take a lot of hours, 12 to 14 hour days. And because of that, he was doing the same thing we all do, right? He's grabbing stuff to go the best he could, healthiest he could, but it still was adding a few pounds on his body. And he wanted to start working out regularly for his body. The working out part he could fix. You know, you just come into the gym earlier or leave later or find some time you're slow and work out. You could fix that. But the food part included some planning and preparing. And his wife was at home with three kids under five, and he didn't want to be a burden. He didn't want to even ask because he thought it would be a burden to her to ask for her support to help him prepare his food. What actually happened was reverse of his fear. So he asked and she was very grateful and honored to help him 
prepare for his food because she noticed that he was putting on weight and also noticed how it was bothering him. So those are the four belief systems that people get bump up against, especially when they want to change anything in their lives. It doesn't matter if you want to build a relationship closer to God. It doesn't matter if you want to have an amazing relationship or have someone special come into your life, whether it's money, whether it's your career, or whether it has anything to do with your health. You will bump into at least one of those four core belief systems. That is what's holding you back. You'll, the excuses is what you'll say to yourself because you might not know what that core belief system is. So the solid reasons that you keep creating over and over and over again to justify the belief, and then you create stories around it. And what's really fascinating about creating stories, I mean, I've had entire conversations in my head with people that I never had. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> So I made up those stories and I was making up those stories about our conversation to create excuses for myself to back up a core belief system. And what's fascinating about stories when I was doing research for my book is this last book is that um, our brain actually makes up 80% of our stories. That just blew me away. Wow. Of, I know. Uh. Eighty percent is not even true. It's no, made it's made up, right? That's crazy. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that is wild. So eighty percent of us is not real. Yeah. <laughs> we're yeah. only we're only the only twenty percent of us is truth, and the rest is all fiction. Made up by our brain because that's what it does. Is that a safety thing? Yes, and it's because our brains are problem solvers. Ah. So if there's a gap, it's going to fill it in. Wow. And my brother was just telling us a story. He was on the grand jury in his the state that he lives in. And they prosecuting or the yeah, the prosecuting attorneys were were helping them understand that why is it that we have three people that saw one thing in this accident and two that saw this other thing and one of those two was an off-duty police officer. And the police officer and this one person, they absolutely swore they saw it differently than the other three. And, you know, and why is that? And they said that's what they said, is that the brain fills in the stories, especially when something is happening quickly, which it always is, and then you stop and try to relive it, the brain has already collected the data or made the data up, basically. And so that's why both of them believe they're absolutely right. But two of them were wrong through the videotapes that they collected. And they still, even looking at the videotapes, no, I am sure that wow. it Wow. So you really shouldn't believe yourself, right? <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's, yeah, that's tough. <laughs> I know, right? It really is. It's like you really shouldn't believe yourself because, you know, what's the truth here, you know? And and it's really amazing, uh, too, you talk about beliefs, but if we let go of all beliefs, 
wouldn't we just be manifesting everything we want in our life if we can let go of beliefs? Wouldn't that be something? Right? <laughs> but how do you let go of the beliefs? Well, like I said, I, I do believe that the, the, you know, if you want to call it the soul, pick at least one of them to play with in your, so you can better understand how the manifestation happens and what's getting in your way and to actually celebrate that because it's a new do a new and deeper level of understanding it's not easy and it kind of much pretty much sucks I mean, really <laughs> <does>. <laughs> to go, oh here i go again look at that yay um however it's you know there's a whole thing about contrast and that's what that's showing you is contrast and how you have the ability to move past it so it's, it's showing you some delightful thing that you can play with to move beyond and showing you that you actually have the power to manifest what you want differently rather than what you're experiencing. So right. there's a, a lot of spirituality involved with that as well. And so awareness really is seeking the truth within our own mind. Yes. And it's not easy to do it on your own. No, it is not. It is not. That's why people need the, the support, you know. Uh, uh, in fact, I I really think people do need that extra, you know, that life coach or that one go-to person that's going to always tell you the truth, not what you want to hear. They're great to have those people in your life that'll tell you what you want to hear, but that's not what you really want to need when you're seeking out the truth in our minds. Yeah, you are so right. And then again, we don't like hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't. I don't like hearing it. I can't believe that just came out of my mouth, but it did. <laughs> yeah, we really don't want to hear it. But I also know that that's for my best. In, my best and highest interest is to have somebody, like you said, who's going to kick me in the butt. Someone who's going to also cheer me on when you know things are going well someone who can be uh, beside me when I'm going through really difficult times and with a hand up, but also there's times when I know I just need somebody to say, okay, stop whimpering. It, it, you know, you're okay. And let's move forward. Take my hand and let's go. And I'm like, all right, let's go. Or go do that. You know, even though you don't want to go do it anyway. So yeah, there's, there's those times as well that we need somebody, but we also need a cheerleader because of what I was just sharing about earlier is how the brain functions is always look for danger. We can train our brain to look for positive. And that's why you're hearing a lot of this. It's very interesting. Neuroscience, metaphysics, spirituality are kind of all coming together right now. Mm -hmm. And so you'll hear a, a, someone in spirituality say, be grateful, write a grat gratitude list, do it every day, be in that grat gratitude spot. Neuroscience, that's a really good reason because the brain is programmed to look for negative. So now you're working into your higher brain by gratitude. And then the metaphysics side of that is you're actually changing them in your science, neuroscience is you're changing your brain chemistry when you do that. So it's just fascinating how science and spirituality and all this woo woo stuff that uh, I know I say, I suspect you say, oh yeah, as <laughs> science back behind it. And the brain actually does chemically change 
when you have a gratitude list every day. And that's what we want as higher evolving human beings is to help our brain get out of, some people call it the lizard brain, some call it other, you know, other things that, meaning that it's never really changed. Well, we have the opportunity to change it through some of these positive aspects. I got you. That makes a lot of sense right there. What What is a typical day look for you, though? Like, you know, the practicing, you, you practice gratitude on a daily basis, but what does your day look like for you when you get up? How, what do you do for yourself? Well, I actually live my average perfect day. And some days aren't as perfect as others, but I actually live it every single day. So I get up in the morning, usually around 5, 5.30, maybe 6 at the latest. Get the dogs out, get the coffee brewing, and get them breakfast. Because I get a little unruly if they don't get breakfast. <laughs> Understand. <laughs> um, and then I'll get my breakfast. Usually I'll read. So I have a book beside of the sofa. I'll read something. Um, I'm always... In the morning, we have Hallmark Channel on because it has Reba and Golden Girls, which is really fun TV, and it <laughs> makes us laugh. So that's going on. Uh, then I will check my emails, what's going on for the day. And so I've, by the time I get to my desk, that my I've already gone through my emails once. I see where I need to go for the day, and I go up and start getting ready for my day. While I'm listening to Earl Nightingale, The Strangest Secret, and usually one of Abraham Hicks' videos, or Jake Ducey, and sometimes Mike Dooley. So those are my, my favorite things to listen to. So I'm listening to uplifting, positive in, information that I can take into my day. I get to my desk, and my desk is, uh, then I, I'm either working with my clients, I am preparing for speeches, I am uh, reaching out to people who have interest in some of my work. I am looking for speeches. I, I do a lot of talking to people, whether I'm mm -hmm. looking for speeches, podcasts, talk to Facebook groups, radio shows like this. I um, do networking. So I go to networking meetings, whether they're virtual or in person. And usually lunchtime, lately it hasn't been this week because my husband's been very busy. He works out of our home too. So usually at lunchtime around 11.45, we sit down and turn on the prices right and have a competition on who can get closest to the showcase. <laughs> <laughs> How fun. Yeah, well, it is. And we've done this for years. Um, but like I said, the last few weeks, we've both been so busy. We haven't, our lunchtime hasn't synced. Take the dogs for a walk. Um, feed them something because they eat three times a day or more. And then uh, go back to my desk. And I, I know my, cal my calendar is completely full, and I talk, have some amazing conversations with people, and uh, have, or I'm creating something. So I do have a one-day event coming up in June that I just decided that's what I'm going to do. So now it's all the creative back-end stuff, which I'll enjoy doing this week. And... Usually around 5, 5.36, my day is ending. Somewhere along there, I've had a break. And usually, again, it's outside with the dogs. Had maybe a healthy snack. Dinner time is, um, again, it's, it's the two of us with dinner. I'm not a very fancy cook, so you don't see that here in the house, but we have nutritious <laughs> food. 
<laughs> we're both pretty low carb. And then we watch something together. My husband and I sit and watch something on television. Or if it's a weekend, we're usually out and about. So get ready for bed. I do some yoga. I read really light headlines in the news. Uh-huh. So I kind of know what's going on. And then it's I sleep sleep well between seven and eight hours. So that's my perfect day. And and, a, and that wasn't five years ago. So I've, I've worked towards getting that day. And I feel very fortunate to be able to live it. Well, that is a beautiful day. What When do you have time to write the book? Well, that was really interesting because I was, I was, in a program and that was one of the things that we were to do and i was so busy so busy so busy and then we had some time scheduled for vacation and COVID hit and we didn't go so that entire week i had had like the first three chapters written but that entire re week i wrote the rest of the book and it's it's a short book you could read it in an hour hour and a half so and then I had a couple extra tweaks to do after that week. So that's how I wrote my book. Prior to that week off, though, I was scheduling it in my, it would put in my schedule. So nothing gets done for me unless it's in my schedule, including personal time. So I would take time to read because it's very important to read to write a book. So I take time to read in the morning as I always did. And then I might take from eight to nine o'clock to write. And there was no judgment about what I was writing. And that's what's important with anything we want to change in our life. There was no judgment. I heard another hypnotist once say, and he, he's written like 12 books, and he does all kinds of research, and he's just a very busy man. It's like, how do you time have time? And he does, creates programs and all kinds of stuff. How do you have time to do this? And he said, well, this was my goal. My goal was to type one sentence of my book every night. Now, he lived an hour away from his office. He worked 10-hour days. So he's away for 12 hours. Gets home, gets really tired, and he goes, and some days I open up my laptop, I type in, this is a sentence, and shut it down. <laughs> he achieved his goal. And so I kept that in mind. I, it didn't matter what I wrote. It didn't matter if I kept it for the book or not. What mattered is getting into that mind space of this is the time that I write and being consistent. Did you always want to be a writer when you were younger? Uh, did you just fall into it? What was the motivation behind you becoming an author? I would so love to say yes, but <laughs> <laughs> it never dawned on me. I am spelling challenged. I learned this in the fifth grade when I was the second one to sit down in the spelling bee because I got the word wrong and I was so embarrassed. So, so embarrassed. And so the whole thing about not taking enough time to prepare and all the judgment around that and the criticism around that and I'm a horrible speller. So that belief system has stayed with me. And then word came along with spell checker, I'm like yay. And then I would still get the wrong, the wrong word. So writing to me was a challenge. And then when I was studying to become a minister, we had to write a thesis. And I figured if I'm going to write a thesis, I'm going to write it in a book format. And fortunately, that was okay with the, the form of study I was doing. 
And so I, I wrote it much more casual than a thesis would be. It had all the citations and everything that it needed, but it was just much more casual. And that's how I got my minister's license. So they approved it and I took three years. I held it for three years before I published it and I gave it to a, a friend who's since passed. And I said, will you please read this for me? I don't know if this book is about me and I don't know if it's gonna help anybody and I don't wanna publish it if it's just about me and not gonna help anybody. So two weeks later, we're having coffee and she said, you have to publish this book. She would go into the prisons and she had a woman's group that she would go like a Bible study and they would talk about things and read books. And she said, I read your first chapter to this group and they were laughing and they were crying and they got all kinds of ahas and breakthroughs from it. You have to publish this book. So I gave it to another friend who had already published my books and she said, you can't publish this book. <laughs> <laughs> she goes, it's, it, it needs more, it needs more about the reader. So how can you help them from your story? How can you help the reader? What's the moral of the story in each chapter? And so I, in a period of six weeks between it was Thanksgiving and New Year's. I finished all of that in that book and got someone to design the cover and scared the snot out of me. I mean, I, I'm a person who's very withdrawn. I'm highly sensitive. I didn't know that until a few years ago. Um, would have been considered shy. And then all of a sudden I'm writing a book and I'm putting it out there and it's about my life. It's like, oh my God, what's wrong with me? And I remember um, putting it on Amazon going, oh boy, here we go. And that's how that one happened. Then I wrote a couple chapters. I started writing articles. And then the second book, like I said, was part of a program I was in. And I had a deadline and I had to get it done. So it was, it was never a calling to be an author. It was kind of a side effect of the work that I do. That is amazing. Um, so what was the name of the first book you've ever written? The first book is called Stucked Up. And I don't know if they can actually see the video on Facebook or not. Just... Yeah, you can show it. You, you can show your picture. Turn it right there. That's perfect. Stucked Up, A Breakthrough Path to Unstuck. That was my first book. This is the one that I wrote as a thesis. And then it's got questions in it for you to discern if it's something about you that you need to learn more about. And then this is my latest book. This just came out in October. You can be right about everything and still have nothing. How to give up your need to be right and get what you want. Oh, that is such a hard one for everyone, right? Like my son, who's 26 years old, likes to be right on everything with me. So I definitely need to read that book because I want to be right with him. You know, it's like there's just two forces between each other wanting to be right with each other. But you don't gain anything from being like that at all. Oh, no. And actually, the whole book premise came from a situation that happened with a girlfriend of mine. And she was actually willing to die. Oh, she was willing to die to prove she was right. And then I started thinking wow, what belief systems do we have that we're fighting so desperately for to keep that are so wrong, but we're willing to die for them? 
because that's what we're doing. We're trying to prove those core belief systems are right. All that misguided information the brain made up. We're trying to, all the stories, we're creating solid reasons why it, it should be right. And then we are creating habits and actions to prove that they're right. And in some cases with our health, you really will, are willing to die to prove they're right. Yeah. Yes. I've witnessed that through my whole life. Yes. That is very true. So um, at the, I, after the show, I will be posting your website. They can purchase their, your book through your website, right? Yes. Of course. And then on, of course, Amazon as well. Yes. And, um, and I'll also uh, give you a link to a couple of, to uh, Vicky's uh, YouTube channel. Cause I was watching a very uh, earlier and I've learned so much. Like um, you, you talk about, uh, why do people get it off of their weight loss plan? You know, that was very interesting to learn. And um, why don't diets really work? Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm going to give all these links to them and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, yes, it's my pleasure because, I mean, you have such this uh, glowing personality. It's hard to believe that you're shy. I find that very difficult because... <laughs> Here you are on me. I'm not on camera, but you are. Uh, I, I made a long time ago when I started doing a podcast uh, that I would never be on the internet. I, I'll be a voice on the internet, but I'll, you'll never see my picture on the internet. But that's just me. Tammy, she gets on here all the time. Um, but I, I just, I, I find it really hard to believe that you're shy. Because here you are. And it's amazing. And, and you're living a good life. You, you've got this glow about you, this energy that, you know, that says, Hey, I'm living, I'm doing things. I'm happy. You can tell that from, you know, just from your presence, uh, just from your vibration of your voice alone. I, I know that things are going right for you in your life and, and moving forward. And that's a really beautiful thing. And I, I think that's why I connected. I listened to you on ions, uh, presentation uh you did a couple of months back um in richmond virginia on on a podcast so that was beautiful and i just like i gotta have this lady on the show because your energy is just amazing well thank you i appreciate that and i am very grateful for the invite so thanks again so much for having me on thanks for everybody that's listening we're going to listen later and i'd appreciate uh reaching out to me so if you have questions comments like Vicky, you're full of it. Nah, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, well, and we 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 still have it th about thirty more minutes. We run the show for till nine thirty, but I just wanted to you know to let people know that they're going to have connection to you and stuff like that. Um, what are in the in the second book that you just finished? What are, what are some other highlights in there that we can gain from uh, reading this book? What what would it help? It's not about weight loss, obviously. It's about just personal life, right? It is about personal life. And a lot of times what we do, as I said, we support our belief systems through these solid reasons to prove that they're right. The brain making up stories, but then we start going into the what if, the what if scenario. And the what if scenario can work out in two different ways. So you can use the what if to go down a rabbit hole of all the negative things that could happen if you change or if you go about doing whatever it is that you want out of your life. So you go down that what if rabbit hole and pretty soon you've convinced yourself it's not worth moving forward. 
you make a decision that it's it's too scary, it's too hard, it's you know whatever it may be. It's just not it, the what if is too too much for you to even consider doing, and so you don't do anything. Or you can use a what if to create a story because what's fascinating about the mind is it doesn't know the difference between what's real and what you make up. The brain's making up the story, the mind believes it, and it's creating the habits to perform to show that that belief is true. So the what if can be about what you want your day to look like. I started out my perfect day by writing it out. And then it started becoming true little by little. It didn't change overnight. So you can use the what if even, and this is going to sound really weird, even to change events, the feelings around events that you've had in your life that, you, that didn't turn out well or didn't go well for you. And you're, and you're probably thinking, well, why, how, why and how could I do that? It happened. And that's the facts. That's the reality. True. But you can change how you feel about it, maybe not necessarily the what actually happened, the facts around it. And when you change how you feel around it, then other changes can happen for you. And so the what if change, to change the story to, to how you reacted to it, how you are reacting to it now can change your entire life. I've seen this happen for myself. My clients do it quite often. So what that would look like is you would write 10 sentences, but not anymore, maximum 10 sentences of what the experience was for you. And then you write 10 sentences of what you would have liked it to be. So it could have been, I had an argument with my mother at 10 years old about going to a special school that we couldn't afford. And because of that, and it wasn't even that we couldn't afford it, it was her tone and her way she looked down upon me that made me feel like I wasn't smart enough to go to the school rather than we really couldn't afford it. And so my whole life I've been battling with this feeling that I'm not smart enough to do some of the things that I would like to do to fulfill my career or to fulfill a relationship. So then you would change that 10 sentences to my mother and I had this argument and she made me feel like I wasn't smart enough, but I instead realized that I was brilliant and I've always have been. And I love the subjects of math and algebra and I'm making this up, right? So English, whatever it is, and art in that it's, it's enhancing my life right now as I love to go to museums or I'm easily able to, to solve math problems. So you can change the what if in a positive way. And you can also look at the positive side of a decision. So moving, let's say moving, let's say you're thinking about moving and you can go down the what if rabbit hole of, well, it's gonna be a lot of work. So if we do this, it's going to be a lot of work. I got to pack up all this stuff. And what am I going to do with it all? And got to make this house look like it's not lived in, even though we live in. I've got two dogs. And what if they don't like it? Or what if the dog pees on something that smells like pee? And what if they're like, what if? 
Or you could go, well, what if it's kind of fun for us to start packing up some of this thing, these things and discovering that there's some things we don't need anymore and donating it to somebody who does. What if we discover that we've had a rare diamond this entire time? <laughs> so make it fun. What if this place that we're moving into is the thing place we've always dreamed of? So you can change that, that opportunity to decide differently through your what ifs. I got you. So um, what do you think about people that get into a contentment type of lifestyle? They're content with what their life is, you know, and, and I think that's the best it's going to be. That's an interesting question, and it. I wonder if they really are. Uh, as a human species, we are always evolving. Mm -hmm. So, I wonder. You know, I wonder what their self battles are sometimes to stay in that place, or you know, are they content or are they afraid? And, and there, there are, I'm sure there are plenty of people who are content with their lives and they, they are what they are and they're just willing to be that place. Um, we used to see that more, I think, generations ago than mm -hmm. now because there's so much, we were exposed to so much information to see that life could be different in other ways. It does surprise me sometimes. I grew up in a small town and it does surprise me that people stayed in that small town. The people that I grew up with stayed in that small town. I've seen so much of the world, I can't imagine not having that life, but they are content or are they, have they settled? That's a whole different, whole different mindset. Have they settled for what they have? They settled for what they believe they can have. Have they settled that they can't do anything different because that's what their parents did and that's what their grandparents did. Can you be in can you be content with settling? I suppose so, um, but it's hard for me. It's hard for me to imagine coming from you know I came from that same place they did a little small town, middle lower middle income. Sometimes my my father was was uh, on leave six weeks out of the year. We grew a garden, so we had food. Um, you know, so there was times we didn't, he was laid off and we didn't have presents for Christmas. I would have never known that. I guess my aunts and uncles bought some for us, but, um, I, but I, there, but there was something in, in myself and my brother and even our parents that kept believing there was something different. Mm -hmm. And so they choose never to settle. And I think because of their belief that they weren't going to settle for contentment, then we were open to opportunities that we might not have seen if our parents were different. So environmental, you know, environmental has a lot to do with that. How you grew up has a lot to do with that as well. It wouldn't be my type of lifestyle. Is it is okay for them? Sure. If you want to, if, if that's who you are and you feel completely content with no regret, that's what gets me motivated sometimes, right? I don't want to regret missing something. <laughs> right? Oh, well, I say that because I witness people say, oh, I'm content with my life now. And I see them die three months later. Yeah. 
So I, I you know, I, I always think it's contentment to me is visually is a death when somebody says that, because that means you're, you're done growing. You, you've decided to stop growing and you're just going to plop it down right here. And that's the end of it. Well, it's interesting that you've had that observation. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so there's, there's definite proof for you that that's not the way you want to be. I just saw a Facebook post and it was a woman. She was like 120 something. She's sitting there in this evening gown and she's sitting in a chair with wings. She's got a cigarette in her hand. And she's <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I know the secret to life, but I just enjoy a good glass of bourbon and a cigarette and, and I am addicted to sweets. And she's skinny, right? She's a skinny person. And it's just like, you go, girl, right? <laughs> good for her. I, 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 I knew a lady that was in her late 90s and she smoked and drank heavy like a fish. Didn't weigh but 85 pounds at best. And she went out every night to dinner and she, and I, you know, I'd go pick her up because I used to work for a company where we picked up uh, disabled people okay. or couldn't drive anymore or something like that. And I'd go pick her up and she'd come out of the restaurant, just three sheets in the wind. And, you know, and I'd have to carry her to the car basically and get her out, you know, and take her up to her apartment and stuff like that. But she did that. I mean, and she was in her late nineties still cigarettes drinking the whole nine yards so it's interesting to see I, I again but she didn't let like i mean i know she her she outlived her son uh but she didn't let life you know little disappointments stop her from living her life the way that she wanted to and it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier, you know, our mind, or maybe I watched it in a video, your mind plays a really big part in how you perceive things and how you're going to live your life right. and what you can do. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and to have good role models like that, you know, how, how grateful are you to have seen her in your life and experienced her to know that there's an opportunity. And I think sometimes that's what it is too with contentment. They don't know there's other things out there available for them. Yeah, that, that's true. I, I, I never want to be contempt with my life. I, I want to keep, I want to play. Like you said earlier, I, I look at life as a playpen and I decide which playpen I want to play in today. Right. You know, and if I choose to play in the playpen of stress, then so be it. I'm responsible for playing in that playpen or I can play in the playpen where I don't care anymore and things are going to roll, you know, they're going to do what they're going to do. But I, I know that I'm responsible for how I feel. Like you said, it's a feeling, right? It's a really, feeling. There's only, there's two things you can control in life, just two. And we try to control so many of them, but there's only two and it's your thoughts and your feelings. That's it. Those are the only two things you control in life. We want to control everybody else's feelings. We want to control everybody else's thoughts. But those are the only two, and those are the two that you're responsible for. So like you said, pick, pick the playpen you want to be in. And it's okay either one. That's the thing that I had to get through for a long time, too, is that, well, I shouldn't be feeling this way. And then I get all wrapped up in the shouldn't be feeling this way stuff. And what's wrong with you? And you should know better. You know, you're a licensed minister for crying out loud. Why are you so angry? And you know, blah, blah. and then I would go, well, then I realized, well, you know, these are your thoughts and feelings. Yes, I know they're my thoughts and feelings. 
I want to keep them. Okay, that's fine. You, you can keep them for a little while. That's all right. When you're ready, let me know. <laughs> I'll jump back in. <laughs> but it, it's okay to keep them sometimes. Sometimes I want to play in misery. Sometimes I want to be miserable. I just want to be stressed. I want to be, you know, I want to feel that, whatever that is. And it's okay to feel that. It's okay to be in that place. It also gives me more grace to move out of it and say, okay, now I'm, I'm ready. I'm done. Yes. Yes. One of my things lately uh, for myself is like I before before the tiny house was started being built, I had a daily routine of doing nothing but positive things for myself. And that included meditation in the morning and and my gratitude and everything. And while I got into this habit of doing, you know, working plus doing a tiny house or doing all this stuff, I got out of that and boy, I can witness the havoc that I have played a part in my life, not, you know, continuing on with that little routine that you talked about that you did. I was curious about your routine that you do, but if you get out of your routine for several days, do you, do you feel different? Yeah, actually, I just noticed that and I was okay with it. And we took a few days off and we actually went bourbon tasting in Kentucky with my brother and sister-in-law and it was just a four-day weekend it wasn't a long time when i got back though it was difficult to get back into the routine and 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 i'm sure there was several reasons why that was part of it is just momentum so i had stopped my momentum of my routines and to start rebuilding any momentum it takes some time and so within by the end of the week i was back into the pattern again but uh, and so you give yourself that grace, that grace of getting back into momentum. So if you do drop out of a routine that was working well for you, don't beat yourself up over it. Don't don't sabotage yourself. Know that it's going to take some time, and just start back at it in in a slow process as you need to, or jump back in both feet. Uh, well, apparently this playpen I picked to play this thing called life. Uh, I, one of my thing is sabotage on a chart. Like that's one of my main focuses of this lifetime is sabotage. So I've got to overcome the self-sabotage, the self-judgment, uh, the, the criticism, you know, I guess we're our own worst enemy, right? We are our own worst energy. And that was really very interesting in your words, even. You said, I got to, I gotta. And I gotta is a very judging, shooting <laughs> word. And so let's let's change that to I get to. I get to. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Yay, I play, I get to do that. Isn't that exciting? So. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't that feel better? Yes, it does. Actually, that that really does. When I say I, I get to instead of I got to, it sounds much better. And and like I have more control. And when you say I got to do something, you have no control over. It's like you're forced into it. So I guess verbiage is really important in all of this, no matter from weight loss to a career choice. Mm hmm. It is the power of words. I mean, there's many TED Talks if, if you're interested in doing more research about the power of words. Um, there's all kinds of books written about it. But yes, and the uh, 
my lesson, my biggest lesson from words came from Louise Hay. Louise Hay's first book, I think the biggest book she ever wrote was, um, the heck is it? It's right over here. You can heal your life. And I have it done display. It's sitting right over here beside me at all times. But one of the things she talked about was the word should. And the word should is so judge, judging. And it's so criticizing because you haven't done it yet. And, you know, it's judging because you haven't done it yet. And and you think you should do it, right? So there you go all over again. But then I also discovered there's a few other phrases or words. One of them is gotta, have to, need to. Uh, even want to sometimes is, so I want to go on a diet. It's kind of a wishy-washy word, or maybe I will, or maybe I won't. So there are, so paying attention to how you're phrasing things will give you really great insight to where your limiting beliefs are and how they're, like you said, sabotaging the new habits that you want to create in your life. All right. Well, I am going to watch the verbiage there because I, I do. You you got to listen to yourself. Maybe I should record myself talking one day and listen to myself. I know I do it here on this on Saturday nights, but you're right. It's really important. What am I actually saying to myself on a daily basis? Mm -hmm. So what's what's going to be happening for you in your future? What does your future look like for you? So the vision I had, and it's interesting you say that because my husband and I were talking about this at lunch today. We're, we're going over our visions for specific areas in our life. And it's, it's great to have a generalized vision for your life, but I also like to break it down. Our relationship, our relationships with others, our relationship in our careers and our business, and um, you know, on and on and on. So the vision for myself is to continue to fall in love with my husband every day. Ah, yeah. So we've been together for a long time. I want to keep it that way. The to have a playful daily life experience to allow myself to do that. I get very serious about things, so I have to remind myself to play and to laugh, and I love to laugh. So more laughter, more playfulness, and that doesn't mean not working. I will always be, I will be 99 and a half years old and be working on something. That's just my personality of doing something. So the vision is to, but my vision is to be less doing and more um, manifesting. So I have a human design on the manifesting generator. So I can do both. I can do the work and I can manifest. So more manifesting and less generating. But yet doing the generating that that um, is in business, it's required until I can hire someone else to do it. I have an amazing team right now. So in getting more team in my business, speaking, I love to speak. I love to educate. I love to entertain. I love to give people those ahas and those breakthroughs. That's why the name of my business breakthrough. So they can decide to make a choice to change. So more speaking, more visibility to help people. Yeah, like some of my focus is mostly weight loss, but to help people to realize that there is more for them and they can achieve it no matter if someone's told you you can't or you shouldn't or whatever reason uh, why you feel you might need to hide. 
And so that's what I see in my future, helping people, financial abundance, prosperity in all levels, and just beauty around me and enjoying the beauty and gratitude. That's beautiful. So you said you have a one-day event coming up on in June. What is that going to be? It is, let me grab my calendar right now. As I just started putting this all together. And the, the theme of the event is called Scales of Justice. It's on June 28th, it's virtual. It's from about nine to 4.30 Eastern time. It's $27 for a ticket. Uh -huh. We will, of course, have breaks. I'm not going to make you sit in front of the, your laptop for all that time. We'll have breaks. We'll go a little bit deeper into the core belief system so you can walk away knowing. And you might already have a good indication, but you'll know for sure which ones you play with. Mm -hmm. And some really fabulous exercises to... And, and to see what you learn from them. And it will be a fun, fun experience for all of us. Cause this will be the first one I've ever done. All right. Well, I, I'm definitely looking forward to that because I'm definitely going to sign up for that and do that one. Cause I'll, I'll be in my tiny house then and I'm going to have some fun. I choose to have fun. How about that? I choose to have some fun and that's going to be really good. Cause I think whenever we work on ourselves, I don't look at it as a chore. I look at it as like, oh, this is fun. I get to find out the truth because I'm a truth seeker. Right. So when you said that my mind is making up 80% of my story, that it's a make-believe, boy, that just blew my mind. Like, whoa, that is so crazy. So I'm looking forward to this event. Um, if people are interested in getting to have a chat with you, how would they? How would that? How would they go about doing that? Let me grab my calendar. I look down at my keyboard here, and I can actually put a link in. Maybe I can fill it here, so you can sign up for a thirty-minute chat with me. And it's really easy. You just click the link. It shows you times available. You pick one that works for you, and it's all set. That's beautiful. I, you know, I, I had a 30 minute chat with you and I, I tell you what, it went by so quickly. I really enjoyed our conversation and I learned uh, a lot in that 30 minute time. And it just made me realize that, you know, we do need that extra help in our life and it's okay to ask for help because I came from, a, you, you did everything yourself and you didn't ask for help. But as I'm getting older, I'm learning it's okay to ask for help. That's a big one. I actually private chatted you because I can't seem to have comments from here. So if you wouldn't mind copy and pasting it in the comments. Um, okay. That's that's a big one for me. Actually, I had that discussion in my head <laughs> this afternoon to myself. And where did that come from, that um, fear of asking for help? And I have a couple ideas where it may have come from and that and it seems to be more prevalent in women which is really very interesting 
So does that mean it's a generational situation that we could change? That's another thing that's very fascinating is sometimes our sabotages are actually generational and we're fulfilling prophecies of past generations based on our experience of seeing them in these models or they actually came right out and told us this is the way it's supposed to be. And maybe it's our job to break that chain. Ah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, our other host that's not here tonight, uh, she talks about breaking a chain within a family, a generational thing. So years and, you know, many generations, there's been this, 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 underlying abuse that's been going on a mental abuse so to speak and mm -hmm. so she's there to break the chain for the family to, to come from love and growth so that's that's really interesting that you brought that up this evening so yeah i absolutely agree that and i see that even with food so i see that with food i see that with weight women in weight but yes asking for what we need is very difficult for women and I often cheer my clients on around that experience because it's, it's scary. And, you know, people learn why that's scary in many different forms and ways, but it's scary for them. And when they do, it's so freeing to finally be okay and feel worthy and valuable enough to ask for what they need. Now, their expectation of what's received Right? The other person has a choice. They can say no or they can say yes or they can try. But we as the person asking has to decide, depending on their response, how we're going to react. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And not judge it, whatever the reaction is or anything like that. That was the hardest lesson for me to go through in my life was to reach out and ask for help and and not judge the reaction of the person that I was asking the help from mm -hmm. exactly yes and, and, it is. and thanks for sharing that because it is difficult and and i think sometimes too we're afraid to ask not because we don't feel valuable or worthy there's part of that but we're afraid of what the answer will be and then what does that mean about us so if you ask somebody to communicate differently to you and they don't, now what? You know, what now how do you handle that situation? So it's, it is very scary if you don't have a way to reinforce yourself. I understand that, yes. Yes, it is. I, I, I can remember the first time I reached out and asked somebody for some big help. I was crying because it was so hard and, and petrifying to ask when I was taught never to ask for help. Right. I was taught that it was a, it was an environmental learned behavior not to ask for help. And, and so and it's still difficult, even though I've already gone through that first hoop. I still find it hard to ask for help to this day, but I do ask for help. It's just 
it's it's slow process of coming up to asking for it. I'm very stubborn. <laughs> I choose to be stubborn because that is, <laughs> it's a playpen I play in. So, <laughs> well, you know what's fun about that, and, and we talked about this earlier. The first step to any change is awareness. You have to be aware that that's an issue before you can change anything. So, what's really fascinating is that you are aware, and then you then you can decide to make a choice whether you want to move further into understanding, which is the second step, or uh, not. You know, and and like I talked about earlier, there's times when I'm in, in a follow mood and I'm like, I'm just going to stay here and I'm going to be in this follow mood. And when I'm ready, I'm ready. And I'm just going to be here. And, and then I deal with those consequences because there's always consequences for any decision, whether it's good or bad for us um, and or indifferent. So <laughs> I appreciate you sharing that. One, that it was hard and that it's still hard because a lot of people could be judging themselves. Well, I asked once and it was hard and it worked out okay, but it's still hard for me. So thanks for sharing that. And then, like I said, I love, I love that you're talking about playing in the self-sabotage. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I choose to play there. So on, on June 28th, you'll be talking about those, those beliefs and, and that type of thing in your one day yes. session. Beautiful. Yes beautiful well we are at the end of our show what? i want to yes i know it flew by really quickly we got about a minute left and it's it's over with but i want to i hope that you'll come back on you know you, you're always welcome to come and play in this playpen anytime you. Um, I, I, you're just a beautiful soul and I'm so thankful and so gracious that I even got to meet you. So it was such an honor and thank you for giving me your time. Oh, my pleasure for sure. And grateful to be on, like I said, and to have this conversation and to share with many that can, you know, with our openness and honestness to our, the cracks in our egos, uh, to let them know that they're okay and everybody goes through stuff and it's all right and and you're not broken you don't need to be fixed but you can change it so you feel better awesome beautiful everybody thank you guys so much for joining us for another edition of raising vibration radio and journey into consciousness and thank you vicky griffith for being on the show and we're going to have links to her websites. When I get off of here, I'll be posting them on the Raising Vibration Facebook page and on the YouTube channel. So thanks, everybody, again. And Vicki, why don't you say goodnight to everybody? Night, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great evening.